Welcome back to the Short Film Site Podcast, everybody. My name is Brian Sheet, and I'm here with... Chris Lucky. And today we're going to be talking about the 1968 classic, Night of the Living Dead. Yes. But before we do any of that, catch up. Catch up. Oh, we just finished Thanksgiving. We did. We did do that, yeah. How, how was your Thanksgiving? Mine was pretty mellow, because yeah. uh, my mom's still back in Seattle. Okay. Uh, so my dad and I were by ourselves. Mm. So I just made uh, rice with tocino, which is like... It's not bacon, okay. but it's in the family of bacon. It's okay. like cured, salt, fatty pork. Nice. And uh, so you, you render out the fatty pork, mm. and then you fry the bacon mm-hmm. in it, and then mm. you make rice, and then you put the bacon in the rice. Ooh. Fucking delicious. That sounds really good. It is really good. And then sort of like the, the fucking bacon thing ends up being crunchy because you fried yep. it in yep. its own It's all fat. caramelized and crispy. Yeah, yeah. So it's fucking delicious. Yeah. So I did that with uh, butterfly chicken. Nice. It was very fucking nice. Okay. And then uh, it was chill. Just did that. Watch, uh, I think I watched a movie on okay. Netflix or something. Yeah. Or like crime documentary yep. that I do. Yep. And uh, just relaxed. Yes. Just relaxed. A lot of it. Damn. Friday was a bit of a bummer. Friday. We, uh, the day after. Cause we, okay, yeah. We, we had to put Nemo down. Oh, yeah, after shit. 17, after 17 years. We the day after Thanksgiving? Yeah. Fuck. It was a bit of a bummer. Was really what, what was his day before like? Did he get to like have all of his like favorite foods and stuff? Like, did y'all we, know that it was about to happen the day after? No, no, uh, it happened really. Like, we took care of him. Like, we always fed him yeah, and we yeah. always made him as comfortable as we could. So yeah. he had a good day. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was one of those things where like, what I think happened is he had a brain tumor, mm. and so he was slowly losing motor function. Yeah. And I got to the point where he couldn't move the right side of his body. Oh. And so he was constantly in pain and yeah. wasn't eating and breathing well. So yeah. it was like, it just got to the point where like we had to yeah. put him down. Yeah. Which is a, it was a bummer. We fucking loved that dog. Was, yeah. 17 years of that fucking dog being with us. Sheesh. Yeah, and he was a dick, but he was our dick. Hell yeah. You know, uh, and you, you met him. You Man, him. like, yeah. like we're, we're, we're going into three years now. Yeah. And like when I first started coming over here almost three years ago, like me and Nate were like, I'm, I love dogs. Like I'm a, I'm a cat lover too, but dogs are my, my shit, man. Right. And, like, me and him, we were, like, good buddies, you know? And then, like, after about a year and a half, you could see, like, he was losing some of his senses to where he wouldn't recognize me as much anymore. And then became, like, a little more honorary to where he doesn't want to be touched as much anymore. Mm -hmm. And, like, you could see him slowly, you know, fading a bit. But it's just, it's sad because it's just, I guess, empathy-wise, like, everyone that's had their own dog realizes they have to come to that day one day. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just like, It's rough. It's really rough. And, like, it's the first dog that I ever had to put down. Yeah. You know, that I was in the room for when we had to put him down. So it was, like... It was a sad Friday, um, but it was a good dog, yeah. and he was with us 17 years. Yeah, it's a long and, time. Uh, yeah, it was a good dog. It was oh, a yeah. good dog. He was an asshole, but he was a good dog. Yeah, he was. Um, but yeah, so that was like that was like my Thanksgiving. Like Thanksgiving was great. Yeah, the day after Thanksgiving was a bit shit. Yeah, um, but it will be fine with a couple of weeks. Yeah. It's a circle of life. You know, yeah. I grew up with that. Yeah, seventeen years, yeah. man. Sheesh, it's most of my life. It's obviously it's hard to it would be hard for you to remember a life without that dog. I would assume then. Yeah, you know yeah. that's the like it's a long shit, man. It is a long time, um, mm. but he's he's good. Yeah, he's not he's, in pain anymore. Yeah, which is which is more important than us yeah. having him around. Very much. Right, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, my my Thanksgiving week was weird. Yeah, <laughs> I had a lot of emotions. A lot of juxtaposed. It was juxtaposed, you know, with the high and the lows. Yeah, that's weird. Um, but me and my dad have just been chilling. My mom's still in Seattle hanging out. Yeah. She had a great Thanksgiving with my brother's nice. uh, wife's family. Okay. Uh, so that's been pretty sweet. That's it's good. It's great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, I got a new phone. Yep. Finally, 
fucking broke away from Apple's. You you sw- know, switched shitty. over to the um. What will be the the not the Republic? What will be the the uh, Jedi side? Uh, the, the, the 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 Jedi. The Jedi, yeah, <laughs> yeah the light yeah. side. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. The Jedi, yeah. I went from the dark side to the light side. Yep. The I have, Republic. I have transcended shitty consumerism. Yeah, yeah, for yeah, phones. yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I feel like like the emotional equivalent of like so when you when the toilet gets clogged, yep. the tool that you go for almost immediately is a mm. plunger. Yes, having an iPhone mm. in a world that has Android, yeah. it's like when your toilet clogs and then mm. you grab a roll of paper towels. It's yeah. just, <laughs> I mean, it's like the the thing with with Apple and Android, and the reason I don't go back to Android after having it for so long, it's like if I want to think for myself and be an individual and do things like that, then I have an Android. You know, if, if, I want, if I want to use my own brain and, you know, be a functioning human being and decide the things that I do want with my phone and things that I don't want with my phone, you know, things like that, then it's like, yes, I'm going Android all the way. But it's like after like 10 years of being a thinking human being and just like controlling what I want on my phone, I was like, you know what, Apple, just make it easy for me. Now I have to deal with other bullshit that I don't want to deal with, but I no longer have to think. This is true. <laughs> Apple does go like, hey, you want a phone mm-hmm. with Twitter and Facebook yep. and all of that? Yep. We already have it pre-installed. Don't about it. <laughs> you, want, you, want, you want to change anything? Now you can't do that, yeah, buddy. Do that. New battery? Now we're not going to nah. do that for you. We're not going to let you change anything. This phone is as is, yeah. motherfucker. Oh, you're running out of beta? Uh, tough titties. Tough titties, yeah. As yeah. is, bitch. <laughs> yeah, you get it. And that is it. So it's like, I see both sides of it, and that's why I like, uh, compare it to you actually leaving the Republic and joining the right yeah, side, yeah. the fighting side. And I wish I could fight that fight with I'm you, but so- <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the life force <laughs> to fight that fight with you energy. anymore. Just like a wrinkled Palpatine in the back. <laughs> It's too late for me. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> it's too late for me. But I hope yeah. that the other side comes out victorious. Oh, it's awesome. It's amazing. I've made my phone look like the Persona 5 phone. I see. Oh, yeah. And I got the ringtones and everything. Nice. My phone screams last surprise at me every time someone calls me. It's Hell great. Yeah. It's fucking Did you put the, you never see me? Yeah, that's it. Bang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The demo that's like it's last surprise. No, so, not. like, every time I get a phone call or my alarm, it's like, you never see it. Scare the, <laughs> scare the fuck out of me this morning. Nice. Because, um, like, I've played the game for, like, a hundred hours. Yeah. So every time I hear that song, I mean, I'm, like, adrenaline. Like, I'm going to fight. <laughs> and I woke up thinking, like, what the fuck? Why am I laying down? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but finally switched phones. I got the Galaxy S9, which nice. is great. Okay. And I'm done with Apple mm-hmm. for fucking ever in terms of mobile phones. Yes. And if they don't get their shit together on mm-hmm. the Macintosh computers, yes. I'm also done with that shit. All right. I am done. Oh, yeah. I'm done. When Steve Jobs died, that company should have died with him. Yeah, it's and not it been super been great since he died. It's not been God damn it. super great at all. Nah. Mm-hmm. Nah. But yeah, I think that's pretty much... Watch a lot of like true crime documentaries. Yeah. A lot of uh, Deadly Woman. My girlfriend watches this yeah. every day. <laughs> really? Deadly Woman? That's every single awesome. episode she has recorded on DVR. <laughs> like, Shout out to you, Tessa. That shit's awesome. Like, what I do like about it that she watches that, that she can't judge me for the bullshit that I watch. <laughs> you know, because, like, we're kind of like snobs as far as, like, the content um, yep. watching, and she'll watch the that stuff. So I'm like, you can't come in. When you come in the room and see me watching Keeping the Kardashians, I don't want to <laughs> hear shit. I don't want to hear shit. I know this isn't good. I know it's not good, but I don't come in there where you're watching your deadly women bullshit. I know. It's like, I know what I'm about. Yeah, I know what this is. I know this is garbage. I'm a garbage monster. Yes. Give it to me. Ah, fucking everything, like, investigation discovery Mm -hmm. does, I will fucking swallow it. Mm -hmm. I just consume it like crazy. And I don't have cable anymore. Yeah. So I'm stuck with consuming what they put on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Which is a fraction 
of the amount of content that those motherfuckers produce. Man, all right, you you watch Daily Women now. Every time that I come in there and she's watching it, do you are you aware of the woman? She's a um, white lady, dark hair, very short, blue eyes, looks like a um, a knockoff Chris Jenner. <laughs> She's like she. She's the main lady. She's the head, yeah. the main lady that talks all the time when they're doing the reading. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that good. lady. I see her all the time on the screen. This bootleg Chris Jenner, yeah. and I'm like, this isn't much different. Like you're watching like like fake reality show. I'm watching the fake reality type show. It's you know, it's like whatever. Flush but we're, we're in the vein of documentaries. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's just like the re. I just don't like the re. I'm just defending it because it's yeah, bullshit. Yeah. I know it's, it's bullshit. bullshit. Like, I can't defend my shit either. <laughs> <laughs> like, at all. You know, I just, I just see it happening. I'm like, all right, you know, everybody has a little bit of garbage they, they like. Yeah, you know? that's right. Fuck, yeah. I fucking love that shit. Yeah. Um, so I've been watching a lot of that, and I watched. Uh, I started watching the Burn Ultimatum. I didn't Ooh. finish it. Oh, okay, yeah, that's that's the Walter. second one. I that's believe. Third? The born, the born identity, the born supremacy, the born then ultimatum. the ultimatum. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That's the third. So Mark yeah. Wahlberg does yep. a great job in that. Mark Wahlberg. Uh, the opening for the movie is like one of my favorite movie openings of all time. Okay, it's nice. Fucking, I don't know. I forgot who directed it, but like in terms of action sequencing and like how to use the camera to portray anxiety, mm. it's one of the fucking best. It's okay. Awesome. Yeah. And I don't think I think I've been pretty. Sure. I've been playing a lot of Red Dead. How's that? I'll tell you some about that. Yeah, that's yeah, fucking awesome. I bet. Like, at first, it seems unstructured, and the story seems kind of loose and whatever. Yeah. But that's the game's letting you get accustomed to playing the game. Yeah. And then it starts sort of funneling into a really nice structure. Yeah. The gameplay is always kind of like, go here, do this, go here, shoot that, go here, do the other thing. But it's always like a nice, like, ride on the horse through when you get there. Yeah. The conversations are really nice. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just a really, like, immersive world. Nice. So I'm having a lot of fun just, like... Not being stressed out about playing a game, mm-hmm. and that's fucking awesome. Don't take it as it comes. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, all right, well, my horse got shot. I gotta go get another horse. Go get another horse. horse. Get another horse. <laughs> and like, my favorite thing that they do, and I don't know if this is like something that most people notice, mm-hmm. but like in those type of games, when you're walking around with an NPC yep. and like you're going on the way to the story, they have dialogue while they're walking, yep. and that's how most of the exposition is delivered. To mm-hmm. you. It's two characters talking, yeah. which is genius because it forces you to like experience yeah. the world, and it forces you to pay attention to conversations that you normally wouldn't. Yep. So it's fucking awesome. I really like it. Yeah. But then sometimes in those conversations, because you are actually playing, yeah. things will happen like someone runs into you, or someone hits your horse, or yep. you hit a tree, or something like that. Yeah. And so normally in, in Assassin's Creed, which is like one of these type of games, that would just cut off the dialogue, and, and just a get small to it. pause, yep. and then it would just come, come back, back up into the dialogue. Yep. But in Red Dead 2, when that happens, it interrupts them because they got hit or they, they're not doing something else. Yeah. But then there's a little moment of silence, and they go like, anyway, as I was saying. And they have a little leeway back into going into the dialogue yeah. that you caught off. And for some reason, I just fucking love that tiny detail. Because mm. it makes it seem that much more real. Yeah. You know, it's like a dude hits you with a sword. It's like, fuck, what was I saying? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's almost almost even comical. Yeah. It's like you're having a conversation, then a horse comes over, then tramples like three people, you know, like, and then that's over. You sit and stare at it for a minute. All right, that's all I was saying. You know, it's hard to wash your clothes when you don't have a good washing pan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just love that little detail. It's, yeah. it's a great, it's a great game. Nice. I'm having, the, red, the first one is still better. Okay. The second one is a great game. That's fine. I think that's all, that's all that I've been... And it's been relaxing. I've seen that um, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs oh, yeah, on yeah, Netflix. Yeah. Man, how do you feel? Corn Brothers, this is top three of my favorite things that they've ever done. Really? 
ever, ever, ever. I love, I absolutely love the Ballad of Buzz Scrubs. Did you, did you love everything all the way through it? Um, I like the whole, I like the whole thing to, as, a, as a piece. Okay. The, um, the things I didn't, like, if I was going to grade the six stories, then, like, the earlier ones, I wasn't super into. Like, uh, the very first one was the opening with Buster Scruggs. Yeah. And uh, he's labeled as a misanthrope. He was like, I'm not a misanthrope. I don't hate my, my fellow human beings. You know, I'm just misunderstood. Yeah. You know, he's a, he's a singing cowboy. Yeah. And uh, he's able to shoot and kill anybody or whatever. But he's not a terrible person. He just wants things to be the way that they are. Right. And then um, he's the fastest shooter in the West and comes across a new guy. He comes through and then kills Buster Scruggs. You know, so it's like those stories, it kind of led me into what this movie was about about yeah. and it's just like with a lot of westerns you're kind of leaning on hope the hope that something can happen within all of this misery and terribleness and yeah. disease and famine and all those other things with this one right here was just placing you into reality it's like there's not hope it's not loss it's just what a reality of living in these times are and not trying to like paint an overarching good or bad it's just sure, existence it just in happens. this yeah, yeah. Like, uh, my favorite story, my favorite two stories was one with the prospector, the gold miner. Yeah, yeah, he, um, I love that one. Tom Waits, man. Who I yeah. love that so much. He, uh, he finds, he finds an area which is the treasure. Like, he, they, they show the camera and they have this very nice music. Oh, and then he puts his hat down. It's like, shit, he just found one of the most nicest places on earth. That is the treasure. Yep. You know, and then he goes and digs this place up and just put holes all in it. And he finally finds some gold. I love his acting. He's just like, oh, I'm going to find the pocket. Oh, Mr. Pocket. I'm coming for you, Mr. Pocket. I ain't finding you today. I'll get you tomorrow. You know, I'm old, but you're old, Mr. Pocket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then what ultimately happens there, you know, it is just like, if there would have been the overarching hand of um, of pessimism and glass half empty through the entire thing to where you're just showing that the world is um, careless and that the universe doesn't care one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's just that that particular one with that one, the way that ends, show me. And also looking on some research that the Corn Brothers, that's the one story that they didn't even write. Oh, really? Out of all the stories, they directed that one, but they didn't write that one at all. And if you'll notice, that's the only one that the protagonist doesn't die. Yeah. In yeah. all of those. <laughs> you know, he's, he's the only one. Who but, wrote um, that one, then? I forgot the names. It was yeah. two two other guys that they knew, but they, they wrote that one. My uh, my second favorite one was the one with President Peters. He was the uh, the little dog. Yeah. Yeah, the little dog that they introduced. I love the acting and all of that. I mean. That one that one I really, really loved. The President Peters one was really good. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I just, I really enjoyed it. I watched this thing three times all the way through. It's oh, like oh, two yeah. hours or something like that. Really enjoyed that. But um, for me, like I loved about seventy five percent of the entire thing. Yeah, I feel like the first four stories yeah. were good. Okay. were really good. Mm -hmm. I really loved like the early ones were my favorites because yeah. they were short. They were short. They were sweet. Yep. And then you kind of got the point. Yep. I think the longest one was President Peter's yep. one. That was the longest one. And then the longest one that I watched after that was the Liam Neeson one. Where he's with Ooh, the, that's yeah. dark. Yeah, that's that was dark. so that was dark. But I fucking <laughs> I laughed. It. I laughed so hard at yeah. that cut that they did. When he walks over and like throws like a boulder into the lake and then watches it drops <laughs> and then walks back over to the guy and then from POV and you just see him walking back just up to him. to his face and like he knows because his face just like, ah, shit. Yep. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. I felt like a dick, but I laughed so hard. Yeah. But that's what the Coen brothers do. Yes. Dark comedy. Yes. Uh, so, like, I think, like, all the way up to the Liam Neeson one, mm -hmm. I had a really good time. Yeah. But the Liam Neeson one was asking a lot of the audience. Yes. Like, I, like at oh, some yeah. point, like, 
like if if it wasn't me mm-hmm. and I like didn't love the Coen Brothers and yeah. I know what they're about, mm-hmm. I would just I would turn it off. You'd be like, what the fuck? Like yeah. like by the second time that they started repeating that whole monologue with the acting, yeah, yeah. And I, I sat through it and I go like, man, they're asking a lot. Yeah, because like even I want to. You just gotta sit through it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like and trying I, to get to like, what are they trying to do right here with this right. guy with no arms and no legs repeating this monologue that goes on forever? Like why? So it was so uh, that one was like. Those like first seven minutes were like painful to watch, Robert? but the payoff was really good. Oh yeah, when they like when the dude like bought the chicken, and I was just like, oh, like it's fucked. I, I was gonna say I love like the build up to that. It's just like showing him like having to feed the guy, and yeah. after it was like actually literally feed him like with spoon to mouth. Then the next day is just like he's tired. They haven't earned much money. Then the guy's over there sitting over there hungry. He's apprehensive about going over to feed him. It's like fuck another chore. I gotta go feed this guy. And then if they want to leave the town, they has to pick him up and then strap him onto the thing. Yeah. And then they then they see the chicken. And then it was like, oh, shit. And then he sees some food. It was like, I can feed this chicken. Just throw some food on the ground, and I can continue about my life. And it's just like showing that comparison to the chicken's value to this human being's value. Mm-hmm. And the human being just showing that he has less and less value to the point to where this chicken is and worth more, more valuable, valuable and more valuable than this human. Yeah, and the chicken will make more money than him. Yep. No. Yeah. fucking wild. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, that, that one was, like, the last one that I was just like, all right, listen, yeah. you asked a lot of me. Mm-hmm. I gave it to you. Yeah. It was a good story. Don't mm-hmm. fucking do that shit again. <laughs> yeah. And then the next one, they, like, it just took too long. Oh, it yeah. It just took too long. The next one was long. Yeah. The uh, the very last one, though, with the um, the trapper, he's like a beaver trapper. All three of them are, are dead and on the way to heaven or hell. They don't know where they're going. I like that one a lot, just, like, dialogue. It reminded me a lot mm-hmm. of... um. That uh, might have be, been, like, when I clocked out, because mm. I was, like, three in the morning. But oh, yeah, yeah. I watched it before my flight to Charlotte, oh, so it's just okay. like that. So I may not have seen the Beaver one. It's it's reminiscent of, um of what's the last, uh, Hateful Eight, yeah. of uh, when you have um Jodie Foster and um, Samuel Jackson and whoever else was inside the little wagon thing, and that kind of dialogue, interaction, oh, yeah. very reminiscent of that. Okay. The dialogue and the back and forth is really, really good. But um that's my least favorite, the very last one. Mm-hmm. But um overall, like I said, top three, top five things that i really like from the corn brothers yeah. because of just their view on the world you it, know? it is a very right. interesting i, I yeah. love the corn whatever the corn brothers do yeah. chances are out. like you got you have to check it out because yeah. it'll be it'll be good oh yeah um yeah that's awesome man the ballad of buster scruggs yes i think my first short was the first one the first i love one? the i love the style of it i yeah. love the like the talking right into the camera yeah, it was yeah i love the absurdity of yeah. it the, it was great it that was, was great. nice it's nice. like if that had kept that same tonality mm. For like a little bit longer into the shorts, mm-hmm. I would have been able to get through the last no, all of them, yeah. a little bit. Yeah, that's good. But yeah, is you watch anything else? Um, after I finished watching the um that, I was so much in the mood for westerns, and I because I really liked the one with um the prospector looking for gold. Mm-hmm. I went on a Netflix, and then I just started seeing. Oh, because you watch this, then you'll like this. And it was a uh, gold hunters and uh, Yukon gold, and people were just like going off couples into Australia and different places and digging for gold, yep. and just like that, the value of what gold is now as opposed to back then. They were like these old timers in the late eighteen hundreds. They're pulling out ounces and ounces of gold, and then there the people in two thousand eight. They're digging and mining for gold behind the old timers, yep. and they're finding like a half a gram here and a half a gram there, and they're like all happy about it because the value of gold is high as fuck. It's insane, and yeah. we have it all over our phones. Yeah. Like, really, if you want to find gold, go to like a phone junkyard yeah. and then just rip open the phone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there. yeah. But um, just watching that and a show called Below Zero, people living in the Arctic. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's hard times. Reminds me of Deadliest Catch. 
Just like oh, just okay, like yeah, yeah. Fucking, yep, it's that life. I'm glad that they do it. Yeah. God damn. Because I can't. Yeah, no, nah, I will not. Yeah, but that was it. Eating all the food for Thanksgiving, watching food yeah, and you, drinking. What you eat? I guess I have, like, the usual fixings. You know, uh, the, yeah, the usual stuff. Uh, ham, turkey, macaroni and cheese, mashed potatoes. What was wild was as I was having my mashed potatoes, mm -hmm. and I prepared them the way that I always prepare them, and I like the way that I make them a lot. That's why I make them that way. <laughs> as, <laughs> as, as I was eating them, I was thinking about those mashed potatoes that you made when you came over and we watched the movie. Oh, yeah. And I couldn't help but want those, those mashed potatoes <laughs> Yeah. Because the ones, like I said, I make the mine the way I, the way I make them because I like them that way. Yeah. But it's like yours had texture. Like there's a bit of a crunch to it as well. There was like an onion or a scallops or yeah, scallop, onion um, and cilantro. Cilantro, yeah. yeah. You know, just different flavors and a different texture to it. So I'm like, all right. You know, mm. like I like what I like, but let's maybe venture off a little bit because <laughs> I'm missing something here. <laughs> But yeah, shout That's out awesome. to your mashed potatoes, man. I'm just so nice. That, yeah, yeah, my mashed potatoes are nice. Yeah. I made a I made a steak on Wednesday. Okay. It was like it was like a ribeye steak. Mm. The ones that my dad works at a factory that mm. makes the ovens that a lot of restaurants and fast food places use. Yeah. So sometimes they have excavation floors and the companies bring a shitload of meat. Nice. And they cook it. When that happens, usually there's a meat left over. Yes. So Outback was one of the clients that they had. Mm. So I got two steaks from Outback, nice. ribeyes. The mm. one that are like $27 Ooh. to fucking order in yeah. Outback. Yeah. And they gave us the seasoning that Outback has. Oh, man. <laughs> so what I did on Wednesday mm. is I fucking threw that bitch in a grill with yep. the Outback seasoning yeah. and made myself some goddamn mashed potatoes. Mm. And it was fucking phenomenal. I can imagine. It was great. Had a great time. Nice. Uh, yeah, that, that's been pretty much my week. Hell yeah. yeah. Same here, man. Started watching One Piece. Oh, yeah, you were talking about that. Yeah, yeah long ass fights. Too long. Like mm -hmm. nine episodes for one fight. Yeah. Dragon Ball at least through the spirit bomb in three. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it took a full three weeks for you to finally yeah, get yeah. it. But hey, we got it in three episodes. But it wasn't fucking nine. Yeah. It wasn't fucking nine weeks yeah. of watching Luffy stretch his dumbass fucking arm around, <laughs> hoping to get the punch that he needs. Yeah. Fuck that. Love yeah. the anime. Fuck Toei Animation. Because mm. it's Toei Animation's fault. Yeah. They do this all the fucking time. When they used to dominate the market, yeah. they used to put like actual animated content that okay. was new from that episode. It was like maybe 13 minutes. Mm. The rest was just flashbacks, a two-minute long opening oh. scene, and then a minute and a half long closing scene. Let's stretch this out as much as we yeah. can. We're going to milk just it. Just get as many episodes. If I were to sit down the entire One Piece library, yeah. and I were to trim off all of the fat that Toei Animation did, at least for the first half of that show, yeah. I would condense it down. Probably to like half the amount of episodes there. Oxy there are seven hundred and thirty-three episodes of One Piece. Yeah. What the fuck? That's a lot. It's a lot. Too many. String episodes. it out. Let's and I will watch out. all of them at some point. I mean, you can't have to. You're already there now. <laughs> yeah, right. You're there. I'm only in episode forty. <laughs> yeah. But from episode like thirty to episode forty, it was only one fight. Yeah. So you know, fuck me, I guess. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, I think that's it, man. You want to talk about Naruto a little bit? Let's do it. All right. Back. Welcome back. Night of the Living Dead with uh, Chris Kovsarona. All right. Night of the Living Dead. It came out in 1968. It's listed as a drama science fiction movie with a run a runtime of one hour and 36 minutes. Uh, the rundown is there is panic throughout the nation as, a, as the dead suddenly come back to life. The film follows a group of characters who barricade themselves in an old farmhouse in an attempt to remain safe from these bloodthirsty, flesh-eating monsters. 
The director is George A. Romero. Uh, the writer is John Russo with George A. Romero. And it stars Dwayne, jo- Dwayne Jones. <laughs> For Judith- a second. <laughs> I swear to God, you were going to say Johnson. Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> you just the Rock. like, wait, did we watch the wait, same film? <laughs> wait, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, Dwayne Jones, Judith O'Day, and Carl Hardman. <laughs> nice. Uh, listen, I'm just going to, I'm conflicted about this movie. Oh. I'm very conflicted about really? this movie. Yeah. Because George A. Romero, arguably the father of the, the zombie pop folks, culture yeah. zombie yes. film, you know, and not even pop culture, just like the, the father of some American zombie yep. films. Uh, he's an amazing filmmaker mm-hmm. in terms of like he has a vision. Yep. He writes it and he does it. Yeah. He's what I call a blue collar filmmaker. Okay. You know, he's not into the faffy, flashy shit. Not much. He goes just like camera goes here. Zombie goes there. Dude shoots zombie over there. Shot over. Mm. You know, he's very much, like, straightforward in his camera work. Um, and this is, like, I, I don't know. This is just one of those movies that's, like, so, it's such a cult classic. It's such, mm. like, every time you talk about someone with, like, zombie films, someone just goes, like, yeah, not of the living dead, man. Yeah. It's just, like, all right, fuck, I get it. Mm. <laughs> you know? But I I didn't like the movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, I acknowledge that it's immensely important for the genre, and I acknowledge that for the time that it came out, it was a revolutionary type film. Mm-hmm. I did not enjoy this movie. I, I'm glad we're, we're going to have yeah. different points of view on this because this is one of the best movies I've seen in years. Oh, really? I absolutely loved this movie. I um when when like I said I texted you yesterday to see which which version we were watching, mm-hmm. and um, as I went to go put it on, I was like I'm st- I'm recognizing this I've seen this before, and in 2008 when I first got in the military we were having this training thing, and one of our um our uh, whatever he was he was a um. MTL, military training leader. Mm-hmm. One of our MTLs, he was so adamant about this Night of the Living Dead. I was like, nope, we've never even heard of this movie, you know, because <laughs> we're early 20s, you right. know. We've never heard of this movie, don't know anything about it. He was like, no, and especially you, uh, Airman Luck, you're really going to like it because it's the 1960s and it's starring a black man, you know. So it's like, true. I'm like, okay. So he puts this movie on and it's like the hype level is to 100. Yeah. You know, it was like, this is the best zombie movie, yada, yada. So I, my expectations are super crazy high. And then I'm sitting here watching this movie just slow and trudge on and it's just happening and then i'm like all right decent movie i don't see why you were sitting here hyping me up so hardcore about this but it's a decent movie yeah. and that was that when i analyzed it for the first time yesterday man it's like maybe just expectation got in my way of what what i'm supposed to be getting and it's just right. supposed to be crushing every other like horror type movie that i've ever seen before this time without expectations i love this movie more closer if not more than any horror type movie that i've ever seen in my life um, number one, the uh, the first thing about it was I had to go do research because of the way the movie was making me feel, just how suffocated I was and just into every single moment with these characters. Yeah. So I had to look it up. I'm like, sure enough, he shot with a 35 millimeter throughout the entire film. Yeah. And that's like something that, you know, we talk about earlier on. And, and, um, you, you do love that lens. I love yeah. that because it's the closest thing you can get to the human eye. Right. You know, and that's something they were using a lot in the, uh, the late 60s and 70s. And every single shot is not like you're zooming in. You're just walking closer. And you're yeah. getting closer and closer. And then the shaking of the camera a little bit. And it's just, it's just putting you right there in the middle of the terror. It's it something that I really, really loved with that. But um, on top of that, we'll have to get to like the ending, which I didn't care about at when I first watched it. Because it's just like, okay, it's zombies and people die. Like, I don't care about that. <laughs> but it made me think about another movie that we did um, uh, in black and white. Tickle t- um, 12 Angry Men. 
Yeah, yeah, made me yeah, think yeah. a lot about 12 Angry Men that this is not so much about the outcome about um about what happens to this kid at the end we're doing a character study right, right. About it's about the, the people in the house the people yeah. yeah we're doing a character study on each single person that are that is a part of this movie and another thing I love that the word zombie is not said once nope. never said once and and how how we how we talk about on um how what's making a good movie is when you're in a movie and you're getting all the information at the same time the characters in the movie yeah. are getting it. And they do that really well with the radio. Yeah, the radio yeah. and the TV. Like we're not the same information that they have. And having to put myself in the mind frame of they've never seen a, a zombie movie before. Right. Yeah. You know the the idea of zombies or any of that is just foreign to them. You know, so we I have to put myself in that mind frame that okay. And apparently a cell phone reception must have been shitty in the 1960s because they're using this rotary phone. You to break it to you. <laughs> but yeah, but um, the, movie, the movie opens with a, um, a brother and sister, uh, Johnny and Barbara, and Barbara uh, driving in the middle of nowhere almost, it looks like. But they're going to a, um, to a cemetery to see their father's grave. Yeah. Yeah, to see their father's grave. And um, it's taking them forever to get there, and they're arguing about about daylight savings time, and they yeah. wish that it would happen on the first day of summer, just so they have more light out. And she's like, "Well, you fell asleep. You woke up late anyway, and we got a late start." So I'm just like, "What are we getting into? Why does the time of the day matter, and the light in the day, and right. all those things even matter?" And um, they they get to the gravesite, and one is like a um, a classic line from this is um, "They're coming to get you, Barbara," <laughs> <laughs> like that line. And it just seems so casual. And when you see a zombie for the first time, like I said, it's not zombie. It's not like any kind of zombie you've ever seen in any zombie movie. It's just a dead dude that's walking around with a weird type of staggered pace. Mm -hmm. You know, the thing that I so the thing that I really like about this movie is that opening. Mm -hmm. That opening was really good because like a shittier movie Mm -hmm. would sort of just push you in a cemetery. The characters are already there. Yep. We don't get to see them interact nope. before the first one gets spit. Nope. Then all of the interaction happen after the zombie thing has yeah. happened. Yeah. And it just kind of limits the way that the characters act. Mm. So, like, it was nice to see Barbara and see her before the zombie thing and mm. then see how she slowly declines into insanity yeah. after the zombie thing. Oh, yeah. That was a nice touch. Yeah. And I like that the intro is slow and it reminds me sort of The Shining, where mm. it's just okay. like, you know, the long drive through mm-hmm. the mountains yeah. to get to the hotel and yep. sort of the title cards happening where the car is going. Like, yeah. that kind of thing reminded me of that. Yeah. And it's a great way... Like, we know the movie's a zombie movie, but yeah. if you don't know the movie's a zombie movie, it's a great way no to build tension yep. in an audience that doesn't really know what to expect. Because, yep. like, there's a destination, but we don't know what it is. We don't yep. know how long we're going to be following this car. No. The music is kind of low, it's kind of slow, and mm-hmm. you see her this, like, bickering about... Yada yada yada, and it's yeah. like a great character building moment because yeah. you see how these characters interact. Yeah, and then you also establish a relationship for Johnny and Barbara, yep. which is important when Barbara dies later on in the story. Oh, I love that. So like, it's it's good filmmaking. Yeah. it's good writing. Oh yeah, and it's and it's great. I loved every moment of the film before we got to the house, mm. and then like every moment, like I loved there was there was like twenty five minutes in the house. Mm. That I was just like, we have to get through this. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. we have to be able to get out of here. Um, but and not in like a not in like claustrophobic way, just mm-hmm. in like I'm very bored. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, and it was like that time. I, I, I know when it is. It's like when like Barbara breaks away from the car after getting attacked by the zombie. Mm-hmm. She gets to the house. Yep. And so from that moment to the time Ben shows up. Yeah. And then to the time that Ben does anything useful, twenty minutes have happened. And those 20 minutes just fucking 
I'm so bored. I, I, I like I like those 20 minutes, but I, it's like they were, I, I, I see what you're saying, boring, yeah. but I feel like it was super necessary too, especially for Barbara's character and, and on. Because um, Ben gets there, and he still hasn't gotten Barbara to say a word to her. Right, She's right. just still in shock. And then in, in, in the mind of a writer, or just in the mind of him, it's like he's he's talking, and not just to give himself his story, but the reason he's giving his story, because maybe you'll open up. Right, you know, right, if, right. I, if, I, if I tell you what I've experienced out there, then maybe you'll do the same. So he goes in for about a seven-minute speech, you know, about his first encounter with the zombies. The speech was fine. Yeah. I like the speech. Yeah. The, I, I'm, I'm into the, yeah. like... It's anything before the speech yeah. that really fucking annoys yeah. me. That he just he he goes he goes into that speech, and then she opens up a bit, you know, that she starts to relive all the things that was happening, you know, word for word and what was happening beforehand, and then she starts to get flustered and she starts you can see that her anxiety and that the uh, she's like, Oh, it's so hot in here. It's hot and then she's like unbuttons her shirt a little bit and like takes the jacket off a little bit. Then you get another shot of um of Dwayne Ben, another mm-hmm. shot of him and he's just like mm, it's hot. What are you talking about? You know? <laughs> and you can just see the stress in her as she's telling the story. And and going from not saying a word to talking more and more and becoming more erratic and more erratic. And then she's like, hey, hey, you need to calm down. You just need to calm down for a bit. It's like, oh, and Johnny. Oh, my God. And Johnny. Johnny's still out there. We have to go save Johnny. Mm-hmm. And she's like, um, no, we're not. We're not going to go save Johnny. You know, Johnny's out there. He's, but he's by himself. He's out there by himself. We got to save my brother. He's like, Johnny is dead. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Brother straight up. Johnny is dead. Like, mm-hmm. he was just frank. Very frank. Yeah. Johnny's dead. And that pushed her over the edge to the point where it's like, if you're not going to help me, then fuck you. And then she hit him and then he slaps the Jesus out of her. <laughs> you know? It's like just a great shot reaction. Like she slaps him and you see what the fuck? Ben and just like bitch. Pow. Yeah. She's like, you don't slap me. Yeah, like slaps the entire slaps hysteria out of her. Yeah. <laughs> then she realizes out of the shock of getting slapped, and then she she faints. Yep, <laughs> you she, know? Does. she does. She faints. He puts her, he puts her on the couch, you know, kind of makes her comfortable, like, you know, so she's not gonna be as hot, unbuckles the uh, the jacket a little bit, makes her comfortable, and just shows that he's not about to like. What what it what it is is why I wish I could have seen this in the sixties or the seventies mm-hmm. because what's going on in America at the time mm-hmm. of having a black man and the civil rights is still very much going on. True. It's nineteen sixty eight and a white woman being holed up in here with a black man is like, hold on, am I more safe outside? Am I more safe inside? Right. And, and then just that that tension of being a black man in here, and then we ultimately see what happens at the end with that fear of black males, you know, as opposed yeah. to zombies. But um, I, I was really, I felt like it was kind of necessary just to see her finally just say something and get out of her shell, get smacked down, and yeah. then go back in her shell. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't say another word for till she dies lot, almost. Yeah. You know? I uh, the, I think the reason why I didn't like this is a this is very much like an old movie convention, so I can't mm. really take away from the film from doing it because yeah. it's a product of its time. Yeah, but it's just like when Barbara gets into the house, we have this really dramatic music, and she's walking through yep. the house, and there's zombies chasing her, and she's mm. trying to get away. She grabs a knife, she grabs a phone, it doesn't work. Yep. She locks the door, goes upstairs, gets finds a knife, a yeah. body, yeah. you know, whatever, all that shit. Yep. It was just like it was happening for so long. And I got what was happening, yeah. like maybe like three minutes into that whole thing. Yeah, she was like, she's locked in the house. There's no phone. Yep. There's a dead body. Yep. And then Ben shows up. And mm. like when Ben shows up, it gets a little better. His like long speech yep. is fine. It culminates into that scene. Mm. It's just like 
it does what it needs to do. Yeah, just like I establishing just, the house. Yeah, like I just she, hated watching. Like she can't. She go. She tries to go upstairs. Like she's trying to like find her way around the house, yeah. and she gets to the point to where going upstairs, and she sees a dead body with this face eaten off. Yeah. You know, to where you're just seeing like the skeleton of the front face and teeth. You know, staring down at her. She gets flushed. She runs back down the stairs. Ben eventually. Well, she tries to run out of the house after yeah. seeing that. Ben comes in, and then she's like I said, she just hold up just inside of her own mom. Then she's seeing blood tripling down from upstairs. Just like what the hell so then ben eventually tries to like get around in the house and this is where it gets to my favorite part of the movie to where mm-hmm. i didn't understand it this way like i said a character study at first the first part of where i understand it's a character study as soon as the um the old the people from downstairs come upstairs mm-hmm. and immediately the movie starts it's not a zombie movie for me anymore it's something different because he's like um hey you just heard us upstairs you heard a woman screaming for her life why why didn't you come upstairs mm-hmm. he said we didn't know what was going on up here you know we we're all the way down in the cellar we could barely hear anything he was like but you didn't hear a woman screaming up there screaming for her life you couldn't hear that it was like no it's hard to hear down there i don't know what you mean it was like well you heard something it was a lot of stuff going on you could have helped hey you know all we heard was it sounded like the place was being torn apart upstairs you know we couldn't tell what was happening we could it could have been a whole bunch of those ghouls in here tearing the place apart there's a like, hold up you just said that you couldn't hear a woman screaming up there but then you said that you hear it sounds like it's the place being torn apart i need you to get your story together <laughs> yeah. you know so it's like just uh, kind of uh, analyzing all these characters and then when you put like if you have to put yourself in the shoes of any of those characters is there one in particular that you would have gone with with yeah, the right. um it, you know it's like and i'm looking at it, i'm like all right I'm guessing I would have to be the um, the teenage type of boy that had the girlfriend that died in yeah. the truck, you know, because he's listening to both sides. And it's that that alpha ego male, I'm the boss, I'm the boss, I'm in control, no, I'm in control, instead of looking at the greater good of everyone. Yeah. And the only person that was looking for the greater good of everyone like, was that guy. Right. He listened to both sides, like, hey, we should be down in the cellar, you know, because it's going to be harder. Then he listened to Ben's side of you. It was like, no, if we go down in the cellar, then we'll hold up in there, we're done. And both sides were like, nope, well, I'm going to be the boss of upstairs. If you want to stay, go downstairs, and you be the boss of downstairs. I'm like, all right, well, we're just going to be completely separate. We're going to fend for ourselves. If you die, you die. I'm not helping. If you die, you die. I'm not going to help. And he's the one that's kind of bridging them together. Yeah, he's 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 trying to bridge both of those people together. I'm hearing both sides. I want to live. I want my girlfriend to live. I know we're not going to live just being like this. Like, you put yourself in a cellar and nobody can get down there. And us being holed up here is like, it's not going to work that way. So I really like that he was able to be that, trying to be that mediator Mm -hmm. between the two you know i i i I like the character study part it's Mm. because at some point for me it stopped being a zombie movie and Mm -hmm. it started being a cabin fever movie yes you know yeah and like i like that i like that narrative Mm. because it's it's interesting you get to see a lot of good character interactions but the the thing that bothered me about that is is like we mostly saw character interactions between uh that teenage boy ben and then the dude in the cellar Mm -hmm. i forgot his name yeah and uh, so, like, we mostly see those characters interact, but we have a girlfriend, mm-hmm. we have a mother, yep. and then we have Barbara, yep. and then we have a kid. Yep. And the kid is just kind of forgotten about until the I'll, very end. I like that. I like that um, part with the kid. Yeah. Uh, which I'm fine with. Yeah. You know, kid got bit, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like, I did just like it was a sausage party mm-hmm. in terms of like the character study, and I'm not saying that that's wrong. No, no, that's, yeah, but yeah, I'm just yeah. saying that there's three characters there that are not being used yep. in a character study. Mm-hmm. And that kind of bothered me a little bit. Like I would have much, I would have really loved to see one of those, maybe Barbara lose her mind a little bit, and mm. then having them have to deal with Barbara losing her mind yeah. in the zombie thing, and not lose it three seconds before she dies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that would have been an interesting character story. Yeah. What I do like is that it's a very human movie. Oh know? yeah. Like if you were with six other people in a house, mm-hmm. chances are that you would find yourself 
with these type of people. Yes, you know? yes, very much. And like the only the closest we get to a character study would have been the um, the wife of the guy that, that we can't remember his name. Yeah. The wife, and um, because when they're down there, he with looks, the, sorry, he looks like um. What's the guy from Princess Bride? That Inconceivable. <laughs> that guy. Yeah. Bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of Sorry, like, go on. But they're, when they're downstairs and he's talking to his wife and then she's like, we may, we may not enjoy living together, but dying together isn't going to solve anything. Right. You know, it's when she's saying that to him and it's just like getting to what her character is and then when she gets upstairs and then she's saying, you don't have to be afraid of me. I'm so-and-so's wife. You know, everything is going to be just fine and just showing that what, what she is and we don't get any kind of thing until she, her death, you right, know. So yeah. it's like we don't get to analyze her the same way we do the men in any kind of way, like thirty percent to the one hundred percent, if anything, oh, yeah. you know. So it's like I can definitely ride with you on that that analyze analyzation because we don't get much from the women at all, right? And it's not it's not even that like we don't get much from the woman. It's mm -hmm. just that there's three characters that we don't get anything from, for the most part, yeah. You know, like they could have been men, and we also could have gotten nothing from them, yeah. and I would have said the same thing. Mm. Um, but it is like it, having the female perspective in that environment would have been interesting. Yeah. Uh, especially for like the wife. Yeah. Know? She, she seemed to me the most potentially interesting character. Yeah. Aside from Ben. And she was severely underused. There was, there was a, uh, like a character study in the, um, the guy, I got to find his name. So I, I think it's Harry, Harry Cooper. Mm -hmm. And him that I really liked. And I liked the, the opposition between Ben and Harry so much mm -hmm. between, when you're you're forced with a situation of we're all gonna die, fight or flight, like how what, what are your instincts gonna kick in with who's right, who's wrong, you know? And with with Ben, like both both people have seen the the terror for themselves. Yeah. And Harry, he was like, hey, did you not hear me when I told you that those things can turn over our car? It turned over our car. The Ben was like, well, hell, any good five men could do that. And Harry was like, that's my point. There's not going to be five or even 10 of them. There's going to be 20, 30, and maybe 100 of them out there. And as soon as they find out we're here, they'll be crawling all over this place. And Ben is like, well, if there's that many, they'll probably get us wherever we are. Yeah. You know, and it's just like thinking of just in real world, like those type of arguments where it's not like that life or death type thing. It's the, the ego versus ego, alpha versus alpha, you just type of personalities and one person's confirmation bias against another person's right. and just not wanting to listen to any other person's side. He was like, well, I'm right because of this. Well, no, you're not. Okay, well, I'm right because of this. Well, no, you're not. Okay, well, if I'm not right, then we're going to die anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, it was that kind of, <laughs> kind of thinking. And, what, and Ben has the, and Harry Cooper has the exact same type of thing. It's just like, well, I'm right. And if I'm not, then we're all going to die anyway inside this cellar. Right, yeah. And we got the one mediator in between the young person who's like, hey, why don't we just all work together? We don't have to, you know, yeah, fight each other over this. We don't have to die. Yeah. <laughs> and you see that throughout the movie, even with, um, with, with Ben and Harry, yeah. where, um, you you get that in the character. I like how, like I said, they set up Harry's character mm -hmm. of being. I don't want to say he's a um, like a fraidy cat, but he's a um, very cautious human being, yeah, like yeah, super, yeah. super, super cautious. To where it's like he wouldn't come up and help when he heard screaming, you know, coming up from uh, from upstairs. He wouldn't come and help. He wanted to be very, very cautious. Nice. Now the same thing happens later on, where Ben finally makes a plan. He goes like, "All right, we're gonna get in this truck. We're gonna get this gas. We're gonna come back and we're gonna save everybody in the house." You know, he has a plan. That plan is fucked, and yeah. I want to get to <laughs> that in a minute. But that plan is fucked. He tries to get back into the house. And he's beating on the door, beating on the door. Harry would not let him inside nope. the house. Won't let him fucking in. And he's been helping. Like, he was throwing the Molotov cocktails downstairs. He was doing his part. But as soon as he's seen any kind of danger for himself, his kid or his wife, he was like, well, it's me or them. Fuck them. Yeah, right. Ben gets back into the house. He kicks the door down and sees him. And this is the second time he's been pissed off with this guy. Yeah. When he, and he was, he was like, he whoops his ass and... 
like I said, the character study right there is where I'm looking at it because he comes in and there's only three available human beings now that can really help them mm-hmm. because the two the two teenage uh, lovers they're dead. They're dead. You know they they they're barbecue yeah. and you you have literally because yeah. they got Ian. Yeah. Do you have you have a zombie girl that's gonna be a zombie girl who's with no help to anybody? Yeah, right. You have Barbara who's stuck inside of her head; she can't help anybody else. Right. You know, so you just have you, you Ben, Harry, Harry and, the wife. and the wife. Yeah. You know, so these are the only three people, only other two people that can help you survive in this world. And as soon as he kicks the door down, gets to Harry, then he beats the ever living shit out of him. And he was like, "I should throw you out there and feed feed them to you. Let I me mean, feed you to him." Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm like, "All right, well, he whooped his ass, but like, you still have to know that you need this person. Like, this is your." brother right now it's right. like he did some shitty shit but it's like you can't just get rid of him you know despite to cut off your nose despite your face you right. know well, so well that's why he said like i should i should uh, yeah. i should you know so then later on this happens again you know in, in, a, in a different way mm-hmm. he's harry's looking at ben with his gun and then another thing i love character, that scene that scene was pretty good yeah. I, like you you could see it coming because downstairs ben is um telling his wife and about that character study about ben is you can see there's like an insecurity about him. Like he, yeah. he knows that he's right. He feels that he's right. And he's always like looked over by the world. And um, you see that in the conversation with his wife. He was like, I'm telling he's he, this the upstairs is going to be crawling full with zombies and he won't listen to me. And we're going to be the only ones safe. We're going to be downstairs in the cellar and we'll be safe. And then they'll know I'm right. And then yeah. she was like, is that something that's very important for you? Yeah. It's like, what? That, that everybody knows that, that uh, you're right and they're wrong. Is that something that's really important for you? And then that that uh, line of we've never been happy living together. is yeah, like yeah, the yeah. character study of what who he is as a person. So right. then he's by, an insecure. Very much. So like if if, if, if I were to portray that character character today mm. with very clear definitions of today mm. he would be the sort of the toxic masculinity guy you know maybe he would be, he would be the like if we were to translate that into a teenage horror movie mm. stuck in a cabin who would be the jock mm. i think he's manlier than everybody mm. and then he wants to dominate the group that way that's kind of like his archetype in a way like i think he wants to dominate everyone but he's also like not the main guy like the the black guy would have been like the um the alpha football jock guy and harry would have been the person that's looked over all the time and wants to finally prove See, something I, to everyone i i, I disagree yeah? i disagree because i don't think ben is the alpha guy he's okay. just the guy that manages to take charge of the situation right. that doesn't necessarily mean alpha in terms of like personality mm-hmm. he's just the guy that's able to keep a cool head but the guy that I con- conceive as or perceive as Alpha is Harry. Because okay. he wants to be right. He has to be in yes, charge. Yes, he does. Yeah. You know, so that's who I perceive as Alpha. Okay. And Ben, I perceive as the guy that was the first one to get to the house that could do something. And by default, he becomes the leader of the group. But that's, that's why I had an issue yeah. with, with him because... He, he's he's the leader of the group, but he refuses to listen to anyone else's opinions or input at all. It was like, this is my plan. If you don't want to do my plan, then you can go die. Right, right, right. Yeah. But you got to keep in mind that these people don't know each other. None of them, you yeah. know? So, yeah. like, there's still that tension. Like, if they'd known each other for a while, I'm sure that he would listen to them. Maybe, yeah. But he doesn't know who these people are. He doesn't know how capable they are. Mm-hmm. And to stay alive, he just knows that in his head, the thing that matters is having people follow along with this. Because people are unable to make decisions at that point. Like, I feel like the only guy capable of making a, re- a reasonable decision is the two people that died in the truck. Yes. You well, know? Yeah. Well, I don't know about the uh, his girlfriend. We didn't know much about her. Right. You yeah. know, but but with him, it's like he seemed like the only person that cared one way or the other about yeah. ultimate survival for right. everyone. So I'm convinced that if Ben and that guy had to be in a room together and make a decision together, mm. they would come to a mediated decision. Mm. But because of the dynamics of, like, this guy wanting to be right 
obviously not getting along with Ben. Sure, like I'm not saying that Ben is not any yeah. of the shitty things. Yeah, I think he wants to be right yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he wants to be right yeah. too. But he's a much more reasonable, cool-headed. He's character. more reasonable. He's yeah. more reasonable. Yeah. Than Harry, like Harry is just kind of like because he's insecure mm-hmm. and because he he wants to be the alpha but yep. can't get to it. Yep. His decisions are more alpha esque, mm-hmm. and therefore fuck over the cool-headed yep. plan of like the plan would have worked. Like, Maybe. Like, the plan of getting the truck and everything would have worked. Maybe. And it would have been... A lot of that... It, a, lot, a lot of that disagreement wouldn't have been there. I feel like the stress... It's just one of those things where, like, in, in, in movies, where you go, like, had that stress not been there from knowing that they had to deal with this guy for longer mm. and, like, all the panic of the zombies, it just kind of stacks up to me. Mm. And so I feel like without Harry, that plan had a much better chance of working. Maybe. And, and so, like... <clears throat> Harry for me is the alpha man that is not actually the guy that's leading the group, but mm-hmm. the guy that wants to and he's insecure about mm-hmm. it. So he actively, his attitude actively detriments the, the entire group. All right. No, no, say, okay. Now I will 100% agree with that. Like I can't disagree with that. I mean, right. it's, it's there. No. Now, what I want to flip back is the 180 degrees from like how my first watching it now and then looking at where the shot to where um, Ben ultimately ends up. Mm-hmm. He ends up in the cellar, in, in the cellar with his gun, staring Points at, up, st- yeah. point, pointing up at the door from the plan that Harry originally had. Like that's where he ultimately ended up, where Harry wanted to be in the very first place. Right. And I thought that was like a little bit of symbolism from the writer, you know, showing that okay, if we would have went with Harry's plan, just buckled up the uh, the doors, stayed in the cellar, then this is where we ultimately would have been anyway and remained safe. And that's where Harry ends up getting saved from, yeah. you know, the spot that Harry told him to. But they couldn't have come to that conclusion at all with each other. Yeah. But um, an- another one of my favorite scenes as far as just uh, cinematography is when a- after the uh, the two uh, lovers, uh, the teenage lovers get burned alive. And, and this is why I was like the plan maybe would have worked mm-hmm. is um, because the-, the young teenage kid, he knows how to operate the pump. He knows how to operate the truck, but he's still young. And like I said, not cool headed to where panic, he can just yeah. he's in-, in a panic mode. So when he goes to fill up the truck, he's already pumping the gas before it even gets inside the truck. Yeah. Gasoline everywhere. Gasoline all over all over the um, there's a, the a lit fire car, right yeah. by the truck. And he just pours gasoline all over that you know, then sets the truck on fire. So I'm just like, maybe it would have worked, but it's like, we just have so much panic amongst everyone, you know, that is just, they were in a fucked situation. But I love that, that scene. Cause like before it's like, we've been jaded to sing so many movies towards like, okay, let's get out of the car. The train is about to come. It's about to hit us. It's like, Oh no, my seat buckle stuck. (laughs) You know, (laughs) with that, it's like, we're we're so low key in this one. Oh yeah. 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 It's like, we're so jaded to seeing all those things to where it's like, this wasn't comical. It was just like, it was romantic, you know, almost, you know, to, where she can't get out and you know this thing is about to blow at any moment yeah. he gets back into the truck to try to help her and then boom yep. and you don't see the truck explode you see the reaction of Ben of the truck exploding you know They're it's like ben fuck and Harry. Ben and Harry yeah yeah because Harry sees that too yeah mm-hmm. and then going back to seeing the truck a little bit on fire and going into my favorite you know moments of cinematography in the movie is all at the fire downs dies out a little bit then the zombies or the ghouls mm-hmm. I don't even like using the word zombies because it's not used in the movie True. the uh, the uh, the ghouls or walking towards the uh, the truck, and they look into there because they're because they've been chasing after the truck to get these humans yeah. out of there. They look into there, and it's all like POV from these dead bodies now inside the truck. And then you just see one zombie after another coming in, and then like up, oh, oh nothing here, and then they walk off, walk off, and then a few moments later, you see zombies sitting in the grass or walking around and eating a foot or eating an arm, eating a barbecue leg. <laughs> you know, they pulled off limbs. 
and one of my favorite ones where it's kind of silly almost, but it's it's, it's it's just nice. There's a guy in a uh, like a tuxedo, like he was one of the Undertakers, you know, yeah. that just turned, and he's sitting there with the like the guts or yeah. the intros or whatever the guts, and he's like playing with it with his hand and trying to eat it, and it is fumbling all over. And then they show later he's walking towards the house, and he's still fumbling with these guts, and there's other zombies trying to get the guts away from him yeah. as he's eating it. And there's there's another shot where I'm sure I could even find it like as one of the best shots in cinematography history that this there's a girl um, right when they have the um, they're all walking up to the house for the last time when the, the horde is walking up mm-hmm. and they've eaten the bodies from the truck. And then you see a naked woman walking up with the horde. And then you see another woman. She's sitting down like Indian style and crunching on like an arm or leg. And the lighting just shows like half of her face, you know, with a moonlight Man. and darkness out there. And she's just getting down on like it's like barbecue chicken. Like it's just normal. <laughs> yeah. You know, those things. Or um, the other scene like where um, right before they escape the house where they're trying to put their hands in through the windows. And the uh, the young guy, the young teenage guy, he's taking like a club and he's clubbing at the hands. And there's not no... I and reach the hands back or nothing. He just continue to club it and we get like, not even a close-up, the camera just moves in a little bit more and you see finger after finger just falling off yep. of these hands and th- then they look back at the guy and he's looking at it like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, I'm just dismembering him and nothing's happening, they're still fighting. And the, um, and like, so we're, we're jaded by these horror movies that, because we're 30 years, you know, past this now, yeah. that it's like even more, but um, we're so far past this to where we have been shooting, shooting at the guy, shoots him in the chest, the guy Thumbs back a little bit, looks down at his chest, like, oh, whatever. Yeah. You know, and this is before they learn that. Before they know. The head, yeah. yeah, they have no idea. It's like they're understanding zombies the same way for the first time that we are, mm-hmm. you know. And by the way, this is a. The the idea of like zombies getting shot in the head to be killed came yeah. from this movie. Yes, this yeah. is the movie that did it. And the, and the burning and setting them on fire yeah. and incinerating all that. Yeah, it's just I I really I enjoy this movie so much. Yeah. Oh, but getting get, get towards the damn, we're thirty minutes in. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's a it's a movie to talk about. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but we're towards the end. I love the ending so much. It's goddamn poetry, man. It's it, like I said. It's not. It's not even about the the hope. It reminds me of them, um, Buster Scruggs. Mm-hmm. It's like it's not. It's not about the holding on to hope. It's just a reality and loss. Right. You know. And so, um, so let's get to these deaths. So we we talked about the um, the lovers, the teenage uh, lovers. Yeah, teenage boys. They they uh, teenage dead. boy and girl. Barbecued. Yeah, they barbecued up and got eaten alive <laughs> in front of everyone. They got to see that. The uh, the next death was when um like I said we, they're trying to form a bond and just communicate with each other and try to make it out alive. And after Ben isn't able to get back, oh no! After the guy tries to steal the gun from Ben, yeah. that is a wrap. We already got these these fucking ghouls trying to get into the place, and you want to steal my gun and try to fight me? Yeah, shoots him. He shoots him like what two or three times or whatever. Or shoots, it was him, once? No, shoots him once. There's once in the chest area. Someone's in, so what happens is just someone in the chest, and mm. then he kind of crawls back into Downstairs. the cellar. cellar. Yeah. And then later on, when Ben goes into that's the cellar, he, he shoots him three yeah. times. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he hits him one time in the chest, you know, and that's that moment. I'm like, what the fuck, man? It's like as as much of a terrible person as he is, it's just like that's all you got. Yeah. That's all you got unless you think you're going to survive all this on your own. You know, but um, he, he shoots him. The guy stumbles downstairs to see the the thing in life that he cares about more than anything else, his daughter, who he's doing all this cautious living in order yeah. to protect. He sees her, and then he dies. Yep. The, um, so that, that's his his uh, first death. Well, yeah, <laughs> and, she's, and he sees her being a zombie. Like, she wakes, he stands up on the table, and then he dies. Right? No, 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 she, she, she's still laying there. She's, no, she's laying there. He there. crawls right. over to her. He tries to touch, reach out for her, and then he falls out and All dies. Right. But um, the the next the next death we see after that was um, I guess the girl comes comes back alive at that point. Maybe? Yeah, yeah, the, the little girl. Yeah, she's yeah. a zombie now. The little oh, girl's cool. now a zombie, and the mother comes down there. Mm. And I, 
I love this so much because a lot of times when I'm watching movies, it's like, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, she's coming right for you. Get out of there. Run. Like, right. what is your freaking problem? You're just sitting there and watching it happen. But then, like, thinking about a mother and her child, and the first thing she sees, she knows her daughter's become the zombie, and she just looks at she's like, oh, you poor thing. Yep. And she's just looking at it like, it's her fault. Like, she's the protector of her daughter. She's let this thing happen to her daughter. She couldn't just help but feel terrible. Right. And she just lays down and, and takes it. And her daughter just stabs her with a spade, maybe. It's like and, a, like a, like a gardening yeah. trouble. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was confused by the stabbing. Mm. You know, like, would a zombie stab somebody? See, now, now the reason why I was okay with this yeah. is because um, how intuitive the, the zombies seem to be after yeah. a while, you know, because they turned the, the bright lights on, and then it was like, oh, we don't like these lights. We're going to smash yeah. these lights out. No, they definitely are smarter than your average zombie. Yeah. It was they, like, take a brick. It was like, all right, we can't get in this window now, so let's just toss <laughs> this brick in there. You know, we're like, oh, they, they're using clubs. Let me pick up this stick and, you know, start using the stick. <laughs> so it's like, okay, maybe because you've advertised it that they're able to do these things beforehand, but I still didn't own from your point of view, like your, I didn't understand what's the meaning of the stabbing. Like, why wouldn't you just go up and start eating them? Yeah, you know? yeah, I was, I was confused mm. by that. Yeah, thing. Like, like I, I'm really glad that they advertised that the zombies are smart enough to use tools. To, yeah, yeah. Because it doesn't break the movie, mm. but it's just like, why the stabbing though? Yeah, she could have just eaten her. She could have just eaten her because yeah. there was no fight right, at yeah. all, <laughs> and there was no other examples in the movie of anyone being killed by a zombie with any tool whatsoever. Right. Yeah. You know, it's just them ripping them apart and tearing them apart and just biting them and eating them. But um, but yeah, the uh, so the mother died. So she's dead. And the mother has died to her own daughter, and she allowed that to happen because she was just fucked up. Yeah. The um, then my favorite death. Well, my they saved the best two deaths for last. Then um, the main character, if you will, well, the first main character, I the guess. Barbara. Barbara. Main character is Ben. Yeah. Barbara yeah. is like you know. Yeah. Barbara. Yeah, but uh, so Barbara, we've seen her from the very beginning of the movie, and she's been talking about her brother Johnny, and she just is she was hysterical, but she hasn't spoken again for the last hour of this damn movie, yeah. and they're the, the, the whole house is, has these ghouls running all up on it. There are hundreds of them surrounding, and then they're starting to break in, and then she sees Johnny. She sees the ghoul Johnny amongst a horde of other zombies. Yep. And then, like I said, that's the first time she's spoken again to, um, in my mind, she's just kind of like in a nightmare. Like she started off, you know, when they rode, rode up there to put the flowers on, yeah. on there and then immediate nightmare. Like, hold on, what the fuck is happening? This isn't real life. Maybe I'll just wake up and everything will just change. Like she's in a nightmare. Then when she finally sees Johnny again, it's like, oh, I'm out of the nightmare. There's something that I recognize. Yeah. We're, we're, we're okay again. And that hysteria, she sees, oh, Johnny, Johnny, help me, please help me, Johnny. And then she's pulled out into the hundreds of, of ghouls and devoured yep. like that shot and the uneasiness of it. Because like I said, it's 35 millimeter and you're close up right there with it as she's being pulled yeah. into that horde of them, like, oh, God, yep. you know, and it's just that like, was a good death. That, was a good that death. was an amazing death. Yeah. And then after she's gone and it's just just uh, been left and like he's, he's down there in the cellar and the, the place that Harry had told him to go in the first place with the, the plan that Harry had, which is buckling down and shoot towards the one door. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the, the plan that Ben is trying to carry out now and waiting until the cavalry arrives. Um, it ends in a way that these newer movies will kind of be seen as anticlimactic, maybe. It is anticlimactic, you but know, in a good way. In a good way. Yeah. You know, because they, they have all the zombies there, and then all you hear is, like a horn or some kind of thing, and then all the zombies get distracted and walk away. Right. The next thing we see is the uh, the police department and government, they're coming through. and Which they have been, like, spursed throughout, like, scattered throughout chunks of the movie. Mm -hmm. Like, they're dealing with the zombies. Yep. 
Just like they didn't just show it up out of nowhere. Nope. We've seen them deal with the zombies. Mm-hmm. They're taking care of them. Yep. That's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like they, they finally come. They finally come and save uh, Ben. He's sitting there. He's hearing gunshots. He's hearing dogs barking. He's hearing sirens. He's like, okay, he's, we might, I might be all right now. I'm mm-hmm. not super sure. But he's still being very cautious now. He's super cautious. So he slowly goes upstairs. He gets to the living room. He's starting to hear stuff. And what I like how what they advertise before the police get to Ben is just how callous they are about killing uh, quote unquote human beings, right, yeah. you know, and even one of the people that they shot, it made me think, was that a human or a zombie? Right. You know, because they uh, the guy that they shoot in the, the forehead, the second guy, he reaches up to his face and grabs his face and just falls down. You know, so I'm like, is that a reaction of a ghoul? Or a human. Right. You know, it's like it's hard to tell with that. But uh, then the next thing they see was like, hey, inside the house, I know there's something inside there. I've seen it moving. And Ben, who is, like I said, just being super cautious because of the last 24 hours that he spent, he's yeah. scared shitless and doesn't want to come out. And he tries to take a look out the window. Bow! Shot him. Shot right through the forehead. You're dead. You know, it reminds me of like Cool Hand Luke with a character that you thought was going to end yeah. up and make it and then bow, that's it for you. <laughs> but um, I, I love that ending so much. Oh, my goodness. Oh. I I, th- I think it's a fantastic ending. Yes. I think it's a really good ending because it, it does feel anticlimactic, but it sort of harrows down to the point that these people, you know, were just in a shitty dead-end situation. Yeah. And then that not only is the world against them, mm. even the human world is against them. Yeah. You know, like because they just have to deal with the zombie threat. Yeah, they can just—I mean, they can shoot anybody and just say it was a zombie. Yep. and get along with it. So I think I think I like the ending because it, it does reflect that inhumanity of yeah. having to deal with zombies yeah. would be like. Yeah. Um. My the reason why I just didn't like the movie's great mm. in terms of like the story is great, the character stories are great. Yeah. And then the sort of the character interactions are fun, despite the fact that some of them are not used effectively. Yes, I have to consider um, that. But my, I just didn't have fun watching it. Okay. You know, like I like it's one of those things where like the cinematography and the style of camera and yep. the the quality of the film yep. is so far removed from everything that I was a part of yeah. that it actively takes me out of it. So okay. I didn't, I couldn't have fun watching it but yeah. i can't take that away from the movie itself yeah because technicality the movie is very Spot impressive on. it was yeah. made on a hundred thousand hundred fourteen thousand dollars yeah hundred yeah, fourteen thousand dollars yeah and then it made 250 times that yep you know on the box office so like the movie definitely has its qualities yeah and it's a the first like coming out in 1968 having a first of all a black lead mm-hmm and then not only having a black lead, but having this new type of genre in yeah. the horror yep. thing. Because zombies are not... He's not the first one that came up with zombies. zombies no. But he's the first one that made him realistic. Like, yeah. And yeah. and so, like, having that genre be the thing that in there and having the tension of the, the atmosphere that they're in yeah. and having the claustrophobia of the thing is very much an independent movie. Yeah. And I have to applaud it for that. Oh, yeah. Um, But I really don't think that I I can enjoy this movie on a like just on a filmmaking. Like I can't sit down and enjoy it. Okay. I can only admire it for what it teaches us about filmmaking. Mm. And George Romero is a good filmmaker. Oh, he's a yes. he's a blue collar filmmaker. He's great. But I just think that this being one of his first films, mm-hmm. definitely you know, he's he's not an amateur filmmaker by any means. Oh god no. But like the equipment that he had, the mm-hmm. the thing that he had was like such a limitation yeah. to him that I feel like it hurt. The mm. 
I, I, yeah. I liked it that much more because of it. You know, it's just like you only have this and what you're able to make from that. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Like you, and, and I really do applaud him yeah. for doing that. Like, I'm not saying the movie is, is bad. I'm yeah. just saying I didn't have fun yeah. watching the movie. Yeah. I wasn't entertained. No, I mean, yeah, I've yeah. seen a lot of movies I'm not entertained by, so right. yeah, I get it. Um, but uh, not a little, I mean, it, it is a movie that is, that's why I'm conflicted about this movie, because mm -hmm. I didn't like it, yeah. but I recognize all it did for filmmaking, you know, and yeah. like the, the genre that it spawned off of it. Yep. And like the subsequent movies that George Romero mm -hmm. made, like, what Dawn was it? Is it Day, Dawn of the Dead? Mm -hmm. Is that the one that they're yep. in the mall? Yep. That's an amazing a, like feat of filmmaking in its own right. Oh, yeah. And that wouldn't have happened had Night of the Living Dead not happened. Nope. But I don't think this is by far my favorite zombie film. Mm -hmm. I don't even think it's a good horror film. It's it, a good character study. Yeah, film. not even listed as a horror film. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's a good character study film. Yeah. Um, but apart from, even as a character study, I feel like it had a lot of problems with the characters that were in the house mm. and nothing particularly interested happening except them arguing. Mm. So it's just kind of like, it's fun. It did a lot of things for the oh, yeah. genre. But for the time, it did a lot of new things. Yes. But watching it through our filter right now, I can't honestly say that, it, you know, I can't honestly say that I loved it. Okay. Know? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> I always feel like a dick when, like, a cold classic happens and I'm just like, listen, it's fine. No, no, it's, it's, it's <laughs> like, we've come a good ways because, yeah. like, it's a difference between, like, recognizing what something is and then how your experience with it is. Right. You know, it's like, I can't say that, like it's, it's like even if I didn't enjoy this movie, I can't say it's a two, you know, right. because of what it is. You know, it's like I have to take my enjoyment level and kind of, you know, you have to grade your enjoyment because we're all humans. Right, like yeah. you want to enjoy a movie as a human being. That's why you're seeing it for the ninety percent of the time. You know, so I want to grade that in there too. But it's like I've I've had to do that before. You know, there. movies that I don't enjoy that I have to recognize as what it is. Yeah, you know? and and this is a I mean, there's a reason this is a cult classic. Mm -hmm. But I, I also think my experience with this movie is hindered by the. I don't know if you've run across this type of filmmaker that are just kind of like super, not hipsterish, but they're like pretentious in there's the way that they watch films. The um, There's a director that directed, um, uh, Nick, Nick, what's the word, Nymphomania? Oh, Nymphomania, yeah, Lars von Trier. Lars von Trier, that's yeah. how I feel about Lars von Trier. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't stand those movies either. <laughs> That's how I feel. <laughs> like he's a good director. He yeah, good yeah, work, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I, I cannot stand his work. No, uh, yeah. that's, that's how I feel. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's... So, yeah. like, but this is the type of movie that because it developed a cult audience, mm -hmm. anytime that you talk to uh, sort of like a kid that, like a cinephile that is, that thinks that enjoying weird Russian films mm -hmm. is the equivalent of being knowledgeable about cinema. Yeah. You know, like that, those pretentious sort of like annoying cinephile kids. Mm -hmm. This is the movie that those kids have latched onto because it is so independent. And it was like the first independent movie in like the 1960s that they can like recognize as being that and being successful and all of that, that that crowd has just absolutely destroyed the way that I can talk about this film. Hey, don't do that. Like that's, that's I'm not blaming the movie for that. I'm okay. just saying that that happens with this movie. Because like those, those shitbags happen to be right. You know, yeah. this, um, and it's just like about... Well, you know, even if they're right or not, yeah. the fact is that the way that they talk about this movie and the way that they gatekeep it towards mm. other people and the way that they just kind of jerk off about cold hits, mm. it's just annoying. <laughs> I mean, we'll have to lower the rating of those people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not lowering the rating of the movie for that. I'm definitely not. But that is, this is the kind of movie that that is. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. like, it's like the 400 blows mm -hmm. of B-horror filmmaking. Mm -hmm. You know, and like, not saying that in quality, just like the way that people talk about it. Yeah. And it's just like, 
people just fucking being pretentious knobs about like this movie. I was like, oh, this is why it's the most amazing movie. And if you don't like it, then you're wrong. That yeah. kind of attitude. Yeah. It, it just it just really annoys me. Like cold classic fans really annoy me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I like I said, I've seen it in 2008 with a, a, a guy that was insistent mm-hmm. upon me seeing it because it was one of the greatest movies ever made. And then I'm watching them like, bro, like what, what, what's with the hype train? Like, yeah, right. It's, it's a movie. It's the, okay. it's, I feel like it's the kind of movie that some dude wearing like a shitty fedora and a vest that thinks it makes him look good, but it's like three sizes too big for him. Mm. Kind of thing, you know, like the the son of skinny, weird, thin mustache kind of cinephile kid mm. that is an English major because he doesn't really want to go to film school, but he likes films a lot and thinks okay. about writing a screenplay, but doesn't really have. I don't know these people one, you're talking about. Ah, I fucking see them all the time. I don't know these I fu- and UNCC, are you fucking kidding me? I, I run into one of these cunts like every two weeks. I mean, it's, I, I, it's like I, I get what you're saying. It's like, yeah. but it's like I don't know. Those people are just shut down so quick because, like, I'm all right. Here's an example. Um, there was a guy and. And um, we've had him on the show. But when I first met him, yeah. he was like, man, I'm such an Annie Hall fan. I love Annie Hall. Then I'm like, oh, hipster piece of shit. You don't right, know yeah. Annie Hall like because I, I know Annie Hall. Yeah. So then I start quizzing. I'm like, okay, what's your favorite Annie Hall movie? Okay, um, uh, I mean, uh, what's your favorite Woody Allen movie? Annie Hall, you fuck with Annie Hall? Okay, what are the three main characters? What are people saying this, this, and this? So as soon as I see that you're like fake, then all right, you're dismissed. Yeah. You know, it's like you are just saying something. So it's like, that's what the Night of the Living Dead. If I come across that the same type of guy and he's saying Night of the Living Dead is a shit, I'm yeah. like, okay, you, you know what? You're right. You know, because I, 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 I share that op- I share that opinion. You're right. Now let's find out why you're right, or maybe you're just a piece of shit. Yeah. You know, so it's like I like to weed those people out because there are a lot of pretentious douchebag assholes that just want to pretend like they know more than they do. Yeah, yeah, they you do. Know? They really do. So, so I'm like, if when you're right, you're right, and I want to come sit with you and let's mm-hmm. talk. Let's be pretentious together. You know, <laughs> I'm pretentious about shit. But like I know that I'm right, and if you know that you're right, it's just it's one thing saying you're right. It's nothing knowing you're right. Yeah. So yeah, if yeah. you know that you're right, then we can be pretentious assholes together and just suck each other's. And, that, and that's great, but it's, it's like I, I got the perfect guy to tell you. Like once we're up there, I'll tell you who this movie reminds me of. Mm-hmm. Amazingly, and uh, but yeah, no, I think uh, I know who you're talking about. Right yeah, now. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in its own right, standing in its own environment, yeah. I think the movie is a does a fine job at being an amazing character study. Yeah. Under underused characters, mm-hmm. but really interesting character development and tracking yeah. of these characters throughout the film. Yeah, the cinematography I didn't love apart from a few specific moments, okay. like the body being dragged into the reaction shots of Ben, mm-hmm. yada yada yada. Anything other than that, it's just like Jared Romero is a blue collar filmmaker. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't try to be flashy with the camera. He doesn't have tracking shots no. that follow a character through seven different rooms. Mm-hmm. Puts the camera down, shoots the thing, maybe mm-hmm. moves it a little bit forward. Yep. That's it. And that works to his charm in Day of the of in Dawn of the Dead. Mm. I think that works to his benefit mm. because it's such a big open environment. But in in this one, I think it hurts him a little bit mm. because it's such a claustrophobic environment. That's what I liked about it. And, and like the claustrophobia is there, yeah. but it just becomes a stale environment after mm. the camera has been sitting still in the five corners of a room mm. that it can possibly sit still in, yeah. you know? Uh, but like because Dawn of the Dawn of the Dead is a lot bigger, is a lot bigger, oh, and yeah. you can put your camera in a lot more places yep. and get a lot more interesting shots. Yeah. Um. So that's my only gripe with cinematography. I just felt like mm. it was too static okay. for the kind of film that it was. I got you on that. And and then the editing was great. I did didn't have a problem with. It. I thought the editing was really good. Lighting. I yeah. mean. And then, yeah. Are oh, you seeing the color? Like I don't know what what, what the would have been like. And it would have looked better in black and white. Because that black and looks better in black and white. Oh, gorgeous! And color, it didn't look impressive because yeah. George Romero is the he just puts a light on. Yeah. 
and then just fucking shoots yep. the thing. Because yep. he does it so cheaply yep. and he does it so quickly yep. that he doesn't have time to mess around with setups. Mm -hmm. So he just goes like fucking light, 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 yeah. flood it, and then make sure it's exposed well, mm -hmm. and then just just get this thing done. Yeah. Uh, so in black in in color, black and white, it looks amazing. It did. I love that. Um, but yeah, that's that, that's kind of my gripe with the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, an amazing film in terms of history of filmmaking. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. I think that. What would you give it? Um, one out of ten. Uh, eight point five. Okay. I um. I, I really enjoyed it. Like outside of the technicalities of filmmaking, I just enjoyed it for, like I said, the character study of these six characters thrown into a room. Very much reminded me of um, things that you'll see from Tarantino or Woody Allen or um, with like the uh, the Twelve Angry Men. Mm -hmm. It's just a human case study, and I love the movie for that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what, I think that's where the movie shines. Mm. I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna give it a seven. Mm based uh not an enjoyment but in just knowing what this movie did for history of filmmaking yeah, yeah. and then knowing how influential it made romero later on in Very the genre oh, yeah. it is it is the first movie of its kind yep. i think and even though i didn't like it i it defer it deserves the merit for being that very much you know um i think that's it man really? we got 50 minutes about we, this we did that shit. i just want to get it to there now we can bow <laughs> Ready? Yeah. Welcome back. Television and closing. Fuck, television and movie. <laughs> Got uh, it. This weekend, our television and movie premieres. We're starting on Tuesday, November the 27th through Monday, December the 3rd. Uh, the first one's going to be Tuesday, November the 27th. Leah Remini, Scientology and the Aftermath. You remember her? <laughs> No, she she got into some uh, some Scientology. Uh, she was on a um, like ABC, NBC, CBS. She had, she a documentarian. Nah, uh, she was on some. If you've seen her face, Leah Ribney, you would know her. She was in um, like King of Queens or oh, one, one of those shows. Yeah, yeah, one of those shows. One yeah, of those yeah, type yeah. of things. But she was on there for like a ten year run, and then she decided to join Scientology back when uh, Tom Cruise and uh, Kate. What was Tom Cruise? Kate Cruise's Winslet. Ex? Nah, no, her, Kate. Uh, uh, Tom Cruise's ex wife. They had the kid, Suri. She played, yeah. um, she was in Batman. Um, she was in uh, Dawson's Creek. Somebody hears yeah. what I'm saying, but yeah. <laughs> um, with her, she was in it. But um, Leah Remini, Scientology in the Aftermath. She's been going around from podcast to podcast, letting everybody know how much of a sham Scientology is and not right. to get involved. That's something I could have told you 10 years ago, Leah. But, um, this is true. <laughs> Leah Remini is her name, right? Yeah, yeah, Remini. R-E-M-I-N-I. -N -I. But um, I'm glad that she got out. She got a lot of her family out, and she's trying to warn as many people as she can to not get in. Yeah, she drank the Kool-Aid, and then she spat the Kool-Aid out. Yeah. Shout out to her. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, that's totally fucked up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every time I watch a Tom Cruise movie, I'm just like, think about that. God, that dude. Yeah. Tom he's Cruise, John Travolta. Like, John Travolta. Him, he's in there, too. And it's like... Motherfucker's crazy. I mean, yeah. It's yeah. like, I think the same thing every time I see, like, Christians and stuff. Like, what the fuck, guys? Yeah, that's, that's true, <laughs> true. For me, Christians and Scientology are, like, one degree away. Christians, Muslims, Scientology, Buddhists, like, it's all religion. Like, I hate you all equally, so. <laughs> <laughs> I was playing Red Dead, and there was an Irish guy talking about how America, like, hates the Redskins, hates the Jews, hates the black folk. Mm -hmm. And then they have a close-up on Arthur Morgan, and he was just like... I hate everybody all the same. <laughs> hate them all the same. <laughs> hate them all the same. Man, come on. Uh, so, yeah, shout out to Leah Romani. Is she doing a documentary about Scientology? What, uh, what is this? Yeah, it's a reality-type documentary. It says it's on A&E, uh, Scientology in the Aftermath, a reality show okay. documentary style. But that's going to be Tuesday, November 27th. Uh, the next thing is going to be Friday, November the 30th, 1983. 
It's a foreign drama film. Is that the on Taylor, Netflix. That Taylor Swift's new album? No. <laughs> oh, that, she did have an album named that. In 1982. 82? That's why I said it was the next one. Why, why, would, why would she. That's the name she was born, I think. No way. I think so. She's like Taylor 30. Swift's older than me? I think she's like 30. She's like 35. I'm well older than 30. Like, she, if she, she would have to be 36. I think she's like, I think that's what she is. Taylor Swift's older than me? I think so. I thought she was like one of the teeny bopper kids. I gotta be honest, you don't look as good as Taylor Swift. No, nowhere near as good as Taylor Swift. <laughs> like if she's older than me and looking like that, it was, I mean, I got a, some Thanksgiving weight on. Oh no, she was born nineteen ninety nine. Oh, I'm about to say like what? Yeah. I'm talking out of my ass. She's twenty eight. <laughs> then why the fuck did she make an album called nineteen eighty two? Yeah, I was like, hey, what is that about? Listen, yeah. I'll figure. I'll find that out later. <laughs> but this, uh, this, this um, is called nineteen eighty three. Oh, up. the album's called nineteen eighty nine. Ninety nine. Not eighty two. Oh, okay. Well, it was 80-something. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> fucking close enough. <laughs> this, um, this is called 1983. It's a foreign drama on Netflix. I watched a trailer on this. The graphics, it looks really good. They show a, a city being blown apart and people speaking in Russian or German and One of those. don't m- much understand the plot <laughs> at all. There was a two-minute trailer. It looked intriguing, and I might check that out. You know, so, this is this is one of those things, because like a lot of shows have done this mm-hmm. where like they their name is cryptic yes. you know like 6911 mm. uh with james franco mm. or 1984 you know or shit like that yeah. where the name is just a date yeah or a year just something yeah and then you just kind of have to go like all right if it's 1969 i know it's the kennedy thing if it's 2011 i know it's the twin towers thing yeah. if it's like fit when uh, the, another date like i know that yeah. that's when that happened yeah. But I have no reference for 1983 me neither what the fuck happened in 1983 i couldn't tell you yeah i couldn't tell you that's, uh, that's Friday, November the 30th, 1983, a foreign drama on Netflix. Like I said, it looks really good. Yeah. I still can't, I don't know what it's about whatsoever, but it looks all right. Uh, the next thing is something I've been looking forward to, to coming back for a long time. This Friday, November the 30th, F is for Family. F is for Family. I, I did not watch that past the first season, That's it was really good. It's good. No. The, uh, it's Bill Burr's uh, animated show on Netflix. It's coming back for season three. I can't wait to see more of this. Yeah, I, I like that show. a lot. Season three. Mm-hmm. Wow, they took a really long break. It did. Yeah. Hell yeah, it did. Like 9, 10, 12, 15 months? Yeah, yeah, it, it took a while. while. But that's F is for Family. That's going to be coming back on Netflix this Friday, November the 30th. <laughs> fucking love Bill Burr. Yeah. It's so yeah. fucking funny. The, um, the last and not least, I've been looking forward to this thing for a long, long time. And Brian, this is something that'll, that'll keep you pissed off for the next five years. <laughs> uh, this is uh, Night Flyers. Night it's, Flyers. It's a science fiction horror drama that's going to be on the Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah. Former author George R.R. Martin's 1980 sci-fi horror novella a subsequent 1987 feature film adaptation is the inspiration for this new sci-fi series, reportedly the network's most expensive show to date, set in the year 2000. That 2000- doesn't mean a lot. They're I mean, Alpha, Alpha's like they spent a little money on that. I mean, yeah, but like that's that's the most. Like that's the only show on sci-fi that I was like, I want more of that that I can yeah, remember seeing. I, I I'm still upset about Alpha. Me too. I'm still fucking upset. <laughs> yeah. That was a good goddamn it was good. show. It was good. The characters were good. Yeah. It's like the, the money you put into it was good. Like the money you were getting back because we were watching yeah. it. We were you watching know, the like, fuck out yeah. of it. Yeah. So that's the only bar that I have. Like, okay, so you spent more money than Alphas. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's all that I know. Yeah, but um, let's see. Uh, Follows the crew of the most advanced spacecraft ever built as it heads to the edge of our solar system. What awaits them, is there is bloody, creepy, and horrific, but also much less campy than the 1987 movie. Uh, the cast includes a lot of people that we haven't heard before, of before, but I'm sure we'll get to know them over the next six years. The unconventional rollout will see the new episodes air across five consecutive nights this week. All ten episodes will be available to view immediately on demand on the website. 
Like, and I'm we, into that. I'm like, that. either you're going to be into this or you're going to hate this and everybody around no, it. No, I'm not into I don't know if I'm into the show. I'm oh, into the, the fact the way that they're releasing they, it. Yeah, the, the yeah. way that they're releasing yep. it. Like, you, get, you can watch it normally, but yep. also if you just want to skip all that shit, just yep. go to the website. Yeah. <laughs> That's yep. great. Like this, this is one of those things to where it's like the Game of Thrones thing. The same writer, yeah. you know, one of those shows to where it's like if you don't get on in the first season, you're then done. you're just gonna be angry with everybody talking about it around you for the next six years. I am actively <laughs> okay mm-hmm. if this is successful. Yeah. As long as it's just this. What do you mean? It just has to be this. That it's a novella. Okay. It is a novella. Mm-hmm. It cannot be five seasons. It is a novella. Those are short. I mean, five seasons, that's yeah. short. It's, no, no, it's not. You want three seasons. Five seasons is goddamn five years of my life. I want two, <laughs> two. or three. Three, that's okay, all okay. I, want. I can get with you on three. Like, two is ideal for me. Mm. I, I'll allow three. I want three. Yeah. Three to five is where I'm at. And I don't think any show should go more than five. Three to five is my, my wheelhouse. I'm three with you on that. Yeah, my, for this kind of content, because mm. it is a novella, of course, yep. it's George R. R. Martin. Yep. And he is a good writer. Like, yep. George R. R. Martin is a fantastic writer. He used to be at least so, some of that. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not convinced that the novella that it's based on is, you know, like, I'm convinced that it's good. Yeah. But you can't milk this. You cannot milk this. Oh, it is a novella. It. They're going to milk, no- it. They are gonna milk <laughs> the shit out of They're going to milk it. It's a fucking novella about yeah. a ship yeah. that is flying to the edge of the solar system. Yeah. There's two things that happen. Either mm. they do it properly and they give us two to three seasons of really good character development They're and gonna proper drama. They're going to do that. Or or it turns into Space Grey's no, no. Anatomy. And. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to do both of those things. And they're going to start off, because I'm going to say, they have to get like the intellectual people hooked to the way where they can justify to their other intellectual fans yeah. while they're watching this show. So they're going to give that to us for at least two seasons. Yeah. And then after a while, like season four and five, you're going to be like, why are you still watching this fucking bullshit? Yep. It's bullshit. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, well, I can't even justify it anymore yeah, at this just, point. So like they're going to start off really out. good. Yeah, they're going to start off really good. God and then it's going to turn into that milking it for the view. Yeah. You know, especially with R. R. Martin attached, yes. like the guy that fucking wrote Game of Thrones. Of course, you're gonna milk this for money, man. They've been, they, this is how hard they've been trying to milk him for money. Yeah. They've been trying ever since Game of Thrones, the first one, like got put on television. They've been waiting for a new book. They was like, oh man, you're a really good writer. Can you just give us another book? Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll put just it on please, television. Fucking we'll give put us it on movies. Book. We'll put it anywhere. Just give us a new book. And they waited for years and years yeah. and years. He's not coming off of that, off of that book. They was like, well, shit. Do you have anything else? Since you're not gonna finish writing this book, it was like, oh, well, I wrote I wrote a bunch of books in the '80s and the yeah. '90s, like. Well, let's go dig that up. <laughs> go dig that shit up. God we need something it. else with your name attached to be able to sell. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I mean, listen, shout out to George R. Martin. Yeah. He's doing amazing. I'm saying, I know he used to be yeah. a good writer. Like, I don't know if he is anymore because yeah. ever since he got popular, he all of a sudden can't write anymore. So, <laughs> ma- so maybe all of his other stuff is brilliant. Like, I, I think what happened is because he writes in a 1980s like MS- MS- MSS DOS process. Who's using DOS anymore? Like, what the fuck? This guy. writing. Um, so maybe his computer is just waiting a long time to renovate that computer. I guess. <laughs> Whatever. Listen, point is, George R. R. Martin, I love his writing. Yeah. I think what he's doing as an, as an author is fantastic. Yeah. My favorite thing about him is that he, something gets made yeah. that he did yeah. and gets adapted into a television show. Yep. He maybe approves some of it yep. and hangs out in the writing process for some of it. Mm-hmm. And then he just goes, all right, yep. that's yours that's now. It. Yep. I'm going to go do another thing. And I just fucking love that energy about him. Because whenever he talks about Game of Thrones, he's never like outright defensive of Game of Thrones, but he's never downright critical of Game of Thrones. Mm. He's just always like, it happened. I wrote it. They made it into a TV show. Those are the facts. And I like how we kind of separated himself a little bit before he allowed himself to fuck up his own baby. Yeah, yeah. You know, like um, George Lucas. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, he stayed a little too long and <laughs> fucked his baby up a little bit. It was like, all right, maybe I should hand this off to somebody else yeah, to kind yeah. of fix this because I'm <laughs> fucking up my own kid. You know, so at least he did that much, you know, so I'm happy about that. Yeah. But um, just on another thing, as a writer, and I was talking to Tessa about this, like, how would you not kill yourself? You know, as <laughs> no, no, seriously, <laughs> how would you not? How would he have not have killed himself? Like, all right, now think think about this. Like, he's writing all these things in the 70s yeah. and 80s. Like, that's where he's getting off, you know, because by the 90s and the 2000s, 2000s, he gets discovered, you know? Yeah. So um, imagine in the 70s, you know in your mind that you're George R.R. R. Martin. Right. You, like, you can't be as great as you think you are unless you think you are that. Yeah. You know, so since 1970s, he's been writing things that, is better than anything else in his mind that the world has ever seen. And every time he gives it to somebody to read, they're like, okay, whatever. You know, then two years later, it's the same thing. 1980, how are you sitting on some of the the most fascinating writing material and you know that it's great and everybody that you try to tell that it's great, they tell you, no, you're wrong. After 10 years from 1980 to 1990 to the year 2000, like how do you sit on, on that for that long without offering yourself? Yeah. Like, yeah, you know what I'm saying. It's well, like, <laughs> it, it, it's interesting because J.K. Rowling went through the same thing. She got rejected mm-hmm. by twelve agencies yeah. before Harry Potter got published. Yeah, and it's just the idea that like if you believe that your writing is that good, yeah. you just keep sending it out. Yeah. Like the thing that stops you from just like biting that bullet yep. is the fact that the right eyes will read it eventually. At some point, yeah, and it will get out there. Yeah, but also George Herbert Martin was published. Like these are he's published, published works. Yeah, he's been published. And these things are published in the 1980s, yeah. which we didn't have self-publishing back. No, I, I was just like looking at the, yeah. the grand scheme of where it is now, yeah. like in his mind, what it could be as opposed to what it was. But he did have some form of validation. Yeah, that you're but right. like fucking, it's hard, man. Especially yeah. in today's market when mm-hmm. like there's a lot of self-publication. Listen, yeah. it's just gonna it's writing tangent. Self-publication is it's great in terms of it gives you an opportunity for to get it out, to get it out there. Yeah. I applaud any writer that wants self-publishing. I'm not shitting on that. No. What I am shitting on mm. is that there's no curation for mm. self-publishing. So there's a lot of garbage in the self-published market. So yeah. it becomes oversaturated. Mm. And so you have all of these writers that think that they're proper writers now because mm. they've been published to self-publishing, that their work is just not good. So it devalues the entire market mm. of novels that become self-published. Yeah. And so now to tap into that market and maybe get some recognition from the market, what's happened is like, oh, you self-published? Mm. Then you must not be good. You must not be good, yeah. And then and there are some books that come out of self-publishing that do amazing. The yeah. Martian, for example. Mm. Like that, okay. I know that. That book did amazing. He was publishing it chapter by chapter. Then there's a self-publishing. And then an agency took it off self-publishing and did that. Nice. That happens. Yeah. But the fact that there are so many self-published writers that are just simply not good. Yeah. It's... It's bad. It's bad. It's yeah, bad. Yeah. It's really bad. I would have much rather been a writer in the 1980s where you had to go to a meeting. It's that much harder. Give yeah. her a guy, get to a guy, and then just like, listen, I have this thing. I think you'll like it. And they just go like, fuck you on you, the front page and yeah. give it to you. Yeah. I would have much rather done that than having to deal with the self-publishing online market. It's right. such a fucking hassle yeah. to do. But it is a very good market to get into and have people potentially see your work. But Eventually. you have to swim across an ocean of shite. Just to get to the one island of books that are good. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a fucking hassle. That's where I feel like in the podcast game yeah. where we are. It's like everyone puts out podcasts and you just have to keep putting them out and putting them out to where you finally just get above the shit. Yeah. You know, <laughs> to where it's like, oh, okay, we'll recognize that, you know, yeah. but it's just like a huge pool and it's kind of like indistinguishable, you yeah. know, until you've put out so much content. You're like, okay, well, let's check maybe okay, this. Yeah, yeah, I've been doing that for five years. Yeah. <laughs> I should yeah. check it out. But this is one of those things where like the quality, like, 
it doesn't really matter the quality of your thing. Mm. It just matters that you get the recognition from someone that's already doing the thing. Yeah, yeah. And then no matter really how crappy your content is, once you get that recognition, Boom. you'll form a niche market behind you. Yep. And those people will support you. Yep. So, like, there are people that have subpar content yes. that are doing amazing because someone that had the money mm-hmm. saw that project and yep. just went like, oh, well, I want to I want to see this happen. Mm-hmm. And it did happen. Yep. And it's crazy how that works. And it happens in writing. It happens, happens in filmmaking. happens yep. in fucking podcasting. Yep. In YouTube. happens mm-hmm. everywhere. If you get a shout out from fucking PewDiePie. Doesn't matter you got how subpar your fucking content is. Yep. You got at least two million people that are gonna come check it out. Yeah. That motherfucker has sixty million subscribers and seventy mm. million subscribers. Yeah. If even a fraction of that yeah. goes to your channel for your subpar content, you're set. Yeah, it's insane. It's like that. Insane. Not what you know, who you know. You yeah. know, because like you, somebody that owns a restaurant, and then somebody comes around like, "Hey, I ate at that restaurant. You know, it was really good. You should go there." This person has 15 million followers. Yeah. Food might not be any better than the place next door, right? You know, but the but fact that, that guy <laughs> went to that, one. he went there, and, and everybody knows tweeted. this guy. And then now everybody's yeah. going here. It doesn't matter about how good the quality is at this place, as opposed to next door. Next door is a million times better, yeah. but you're not gonna know about it. You're not gonna know about it because mm. the guy tweeted about the fucking other one. Yep. And it's insane. It's insane. Yeah. I'm not cynical about it. No, I'm not angry about it. That's what it is. It's just, it's it's interesting that this is how the world has started to work. Yeah. It's fucked up. Yeah. Anyway, movies. That, yeah, that <laughs> is it for television. But that's a night flower. It's going to be Sunday, December the, se- the 2nd on Science Fiction Channel at 10 p.m. Um, also, fuck Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> God. Yeah. <laughs> The uh, only two movies that we have coming out are um, the first one, If Beale Street Could Talk. It's rated R, 119-minute runtime, listed as a crime drama romance, has an 87 meta score, rundown as a woman in Harlem, desperately scrambles to prove her fiancé innocent of a crime while carrying their first child. Uh, it's directed by Barry Jenkins. It stars Kiki oh, Lane, uh, Stephen James, and Regina King. Who's Barry Jenkins? Didn't he do Moonlight? Maybe. I think so. Let's see here. Barry Jenkins. Barry Yeah, I think he did Moonlight. Jenkins. (laughs) This reminds me of the wild. Yeah, he did Moonlight. Sure enough. He's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, That is his movie that's going to be coming out. And the name of that is, if I can find it again, If Bill Street Street Could Talk. talk. Uh, The last but not least, I don't know if it's least or not. I haven't seen it. The uh, the last movie is going to be Anna and the Apocalypse. It's rated R, a 97-minute runtime listed as a comedy fantasy horror musical, has a 74 meta score. A a zombie apocalypse threatens the sleepy town of Little Haven at Christmas, forcing Anna and her friends to fight, slash, and sing their way to survival, facing the undead in a desperate race to reach their loved ones. But they soon discover that no one is safe in this new world, and with civilization falling apart around them, the only people they can truly rely on are each other. Uh, it stars Ella Hunt and Malcolm Cumming, and the director. I was really expecting Anna Kendrick to be. Oh yeah, that sounds like her type. It, of seems, thing. it seems like a type. Of yeah, movie. and director is John McPhail. John, I don't think I've heard of him. Me neither. Uh-uh. Um, but I mean, yeah, I guess those are it, man. Yeah, that's 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 that. That the is zombie, zombie Christmas movie. Zombie Christmas movie. Yeah. I want to see Warm Bodies, a zombie love movie. I heard that was alright. Yeah, I, I heard, heard that was, pretty it was good. okay too. Yeah. I zombies are an interesting genre, man. Yeah, they they've evolved so much. Anyway, we've talked for like an hour and 45 minutes now, so oh, we, we should probably it. cut this. Hey. Uh, <laughs> thank you guys for listening. Uh, I'm going to do the rundown right now. You can find us on Facebook at the FFS Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at underscore FFS Podcast. 
you can find us on Apple Podcast app and then and Apple Podcast app, Google Play Music app, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast uh, under the name for Film Sake. My personal Twitter handle is at Brian I'm at T H A underscore V O N Z. Hey, thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Wait. Yeah.